Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're going to have some more sound and song uh, at the end. Brother Jerry's going to take the lead in the service, and he's going to do whatever the Lord has been telling him to do and commanded him to do for this, uh, for this evening. And so we're just going to flow right along with that. So will you all just welcome Brother Jerry to his second home? All right. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Garth, you are amazing. All these songs that God's giving you. Hallelujah. I feel like I'm 17 again, man. This church is rocking. Hallelujah. Let's pray before we get into the Word tonight. Father, thank you for another opportunity to gather together with those of like precious faith. We thank you for your anointing on this service tonight. Thank you for your presence. Where your presence is, there is fullness of joy. Where your presence is, the enemy is stopped and stilled. Where the anointing is, burdens are removed, yokes are destroyed. And we believe for that tonight in Jesus' name. And we give you praise in advance for all that shall be accomplished. Amen and amen. Let's praise him in advance for a few moments. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I have been living this life of faith for 54 years now. And I learned a long, long time ago that one of the greatest expressions of faith is to be able to thank God in advance before you see anything happen. Amen. You know, I've used this example before. If, if Pastor John said, uh, uh, Brother Jerry, before you leave South Africa, I'd like to take you to Santa and Son Shopping Center and buy you a new suit. Well, the first thing I would do is reach out, shake hands with him, say, thank you, John. That's very kind of you. I haven't even seen the suit yet. I'm already thanking him. But what would you think of me if I said to him, well, John, if you don't mind, I'll wait until I see the suit before I thank you. That's rude. It's ill-mannered. But we do God that way all the time. Well, Lord, as soon as it happens, I'm going to praise you. Now, that's backwards. Praise him now and watch it happen. So let's do it. Let's praise him now and watch it happen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen. <clears throat> I don't know what Tony put in this, but it's good. Hallelujah. And, and it's legal, too. Amen. <laughs> Let's open our Bibles uh, once again tonight to Genesis chapter 1 and go back and review just a little bit of what we talked about this morning. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, I mentioned to you that when God created man, he gave him immediately three gifts that would enable him to live a victorious, glorious, wonderful, good life and to reach maximum and the highest level attainable. And let's read once again, or let me just say it for the sake of time, but you can, you can find it right here in Genesis chapter 1. 
beginning in verse 26 down to verse 29. The three, three gifts that God gave him after creating him, number one was dominion and authority. The second gift was the blessing. And the third gift was seed. And with those three gifts, he enabled man to live a very, very successful and glorious life. Sin didn't come until they committed high treason against God and disobedience. And sin caused them to miss the mark where they were no longer able to enjoy the life that they had originally enjoyed because sin prevented it. Satan entered. The earth became cursed. Yet God had a plan. As I said this morning, God will never, ever allow Satan to get the upper hand. And Satan thinks he has the upper hand from time to time. And you just wait and see. God will, will, will bring on something that will counter Satan's attack. And you and I will be blessed as a result of it. Amen. Amen. So don't ever give up when Satan's got you uh, in a bind, so to speak. It's just a matter of time. If you'll stay in faith, God will turn it around. Hallelujah. He's still the God of the turnaround. Can you say amen? amen? So we talked about this morning uh, the blessing uh, somewhat. We talked about dominion and authority somewhat. And then I began to introduce to you the concept of seed. Now, I do want you to read this with me in verse 29. Verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Now, there are other translations that say, For you it shall be for provision. In other words, God is saying to Adam, to man, that this is the way you will have your life sustained. Sowing seed is for provision. That's the way God began, and that's the way it still is today. Even though Adam blew it, and God started all over with Noah and his sons, you'll find in Genesis chapter 8, shortly after God began dealing, introducing himself to, to Noah, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, it says, and as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Amen. Last I checked, the earth is still here. Amen. So if the earth is still here, then that principle of seed time and harvest is still in effect. And it's still the way that God intends for you to have your life sustained. Hallelujah. Now, the Lord taught me many years ago. In fact, Brother Copeland said often, uh, Jerry, the strongest anointing I see on you is when you're teaching on the laws of seed time and harvest. Because I learned this. Actually, I, I learned some things about it as a young boy born on a farm in Mississippi. My grandfather had about 70 acres that, that uh, he produced uh, the majority of those acreage in, in produce. And uh, my grandfather bought that farm in 1927. It's where my dad was raised. It's where I was born. And uh, eventually they... Uh, accumulated about 70 acres. And when I was a little boy, I'd go to the, go to the field with my grandfather. 
back when I was a young boy, I don't know, four or five years old, uh, my grandfather uh, tilled the ground with a mule. He didn't have a tractor. He had an old mule called Betsy. And he'd hook up Betsy to the plow. And we'd take off to the woods. And then there was an area in Mississippi, it's all rolling hills. And there was a back uh, part of our property that was flat. And that's what Grandpa called it. Son, we're going to the flat. And that was where all the produce was, was all, all, where we sowed the seed for produce. And so we would take old Betsy down to the flat. He took up her to the plow. And I'd stand behind him as a little boy. And he's, he's going with that, you know, till the ground, getting it ready to sow the seed. And then when that ground was prepared, he would sow the seed and then cover it all up and water it. And then we'd go to the house. When that was accomplished, he would say, every year, he would say, son, we're going to have good crops this year. I said, Grandpa, how do you know that? Not all of our neighbors always have good crops. Why do you say we have good crops? And he'd always say this, son, this is good old Mississippi Delta soil. Now, if you know anything about the Mississippi River, it starts all the way up north of Minnesota, and it trickles all the way down to the Gulf Coast. And down in Vicksburg, Mississippi, where I was born, that's called the Delta. And that's where some of the greatest crops were produced, is because that river, winding all the way from the north, brought all the minerals and all the stuff from the north down here and dumped it in the Delta country, and that's where our farm was. So my grandfather said, son, we always have good crops. This is a good old Mississippi Delta soil. Now he would tell me as a little boy, he said, son, you can break a stick off and throw it in the ground, cover it up, and it'll be a tree next year. <laughs> I believed him, you know, I mean, we always had good crops. And, uh, <clears throat> but my grandfather, taught me, and I, and I didn't realize it until after I came to the Lord, the lessons that my grandfather taught me that were in the Bible. You know, Jesus related uh, many of his sermons to things that were ordinary to people, common to people. He taught on soil. He taught on seed. He taught on fishing, you know, um, things that people could relate to. And I didn't realize it until after I came to the Lord that my grandfather taught me all this, and I didn't know it was in the Bible. And uh, then God began to bring it to my remembrance and then give me deeper insight into it. And uh, I remember growing up that we always had good crops, and there were, there were uh, uh, some people that didn't even have enough land to plant. And so my grandfather saw to it that nobody on our road went hungry. Now, on the part of Vicksburg, Mississippi, where we lived, we were on a dirt road. Now, I'm talking about, you know, rural Mississippi. We lived on a dirt road, and there were only about three or four white families, and all the other families on that road were black, okay? And, and I grew up playing with black boys and girls. I didn't know any difference. I just thought they'd been out in the sun longer than I had, got a better tan, you know? And I was not, out. and Mississippi in those days was one of the most racist states in America. 
but my family were not racist. I was not I taught racism. And, and I certainly didn't call a, a black person by the N-word. That is the quickest way to get a... We didn't get whippings in the South. We got whoopings. That's worse than a whipping, okay? <laughs> but if we said that word and my parents heard it or my grandparents heard it, it's a whooping, okay? So I didn't grow up racist. And uh, uh, I played with those kids. They, they, they're one of them, these two brothers, their mother lived just up the road from us. And her name was Daisy May. And Miss Daisy May was like another mother to me. She treated me like one of her kids. And uh, I played with them all the time. And, and, and we were growing up together until I moved to uh, Louisiana. And, and I didn't know any difference. And Miss Daisy May's family a lot of times didn't have enough food to eat. And some of the other people on the road wouldn't have enough food to eat. So my grandfather saw to it that in our barn, when we, when we brought in the crops, he had one bin where he put the best crops, and that was for sowing for next year. Grandpa never let us eat the best crops. And I'd ask, hey, Grandpa, why do we never get to eat the best? He said, that's for sowing for next year. Because if you, if you keep eating the best, eventually... Uh, you're going you're gonna to get poor crops, okay? It degenerates. And so we kept the best crops, like the corn, and that was always for what the Bible calls seeding seed. In Genesis 1 where it says, I've given you every herb-bearing seed, in the little Hebrew, that's seeding seed. That's seed for planting. Amen. Charles Capps used to say, if you're down to your last $1, don't eat your seed, sow it. And Charles was a farmer, a, a big-time farmer. And he, he learned that uh, you sow your best seed, okay? And then the second bin of our crops, it's what we ate and what the cattle ate. We, we had the second best. Then the third bin was what he took to the market in town and sold, okay? And then there was a the fourth bin. And I'd forgot about that fourth bin until after I came to the Lord. And he said, son, when you tell this story, you only talk about the three bins. He said, did you forget there was a fourth bin? And then I remembered. And that fourth bin held crops that my grandfather gave to the neighbors. And he invited them to come to the property, go in the barn, and get whatever they needed from that fourth bin. So one of the reasons that my grandfather knew that we would always have good crops. Number one, he believed in the soil. This is good old Mississippi Delta soil. Number two, he believed in the seed. Number three, he was a sower blessing other people. Number four, he was a tither. He had it all working for him. Hallelujah. Amen. He understood how the ground works. He understood the potential of a seed. He understood the rewards of tithing. And he understood, blessed to be a blessing. And so that's the reason we always had good crops. Hallelujah. And God never let us down. Okay? So I, I, I learned some of those things as a kid. And once again, I didn't know that they were taught in the Bible. I just thought that's something 
you know, farmers, grandfathers teach their grandchildren. And then when I got into the Word of God, I found these words from Jesus. The kingdom of God is like unto a man sowing seed. I said, hey, I can relate to that. I understand that. The kingdom of God is like unto a man who sows seed. That's Mark chapter 4. Now, if you keep reading Mark chapter 4, he will say that once a seed is sown, it groweth up. That's what seeds are designed to do. How many of you know God created seed? God made seed. The last thing a seed heard after God created it was grow. That's all a seed knows to do. That's all a seed knows to do. And I don't care where you plant a seed, it will do its best to grow. Do its best to grow. Now, uh, I, I, I've ridden motorcycles all my life, and we, of course, you know, most of you know, we uh, began to cherish uh, like Christian bikers, and uh, we, we do tours all over America every year. And one of our favorite places is the state of Colorado. It's a beautiful state. The mountains, the rivers, the streams, uh, it's just gorgeous. And, and that's the way to see Colorado. It's on the motorcycle. And there's, there's a sign in one area that when you come around this curve, you see this sign, and, and there's streams down below and mountains up above. And when you come around this curve, there's a big sign that says, if God doesn't live in Colorado, he sure spends a lot of time here. <laughs> and so they're attributing that beauty to God being the creator, okay? Now, many times on those, on those motorcycle trips, we'll come around a curve, and it's not uncommon to see a tree growing out of a mountain. I took some pictures of it. I think, as I'm looking at it, I think, how in the world did that tree grow out of that mountain? There's no soil up there. In fact, I got a couple of pictures I want to show you real quick. Can you go to those uh, uh, trees growing in the mountains? Look at that. How does a tree grow in a rock? Go to the next one. Pastor John Bendixson. Look at that one. That's a tree growing in a rock. Now, I want you to see the third one. Just, be, just before you show it, let me say this. All the seed knows to do is grow. That's the last thing it heard from God. I created you. Now here's your purpose. Grow. Grow. And when man plants you, you will eventually become provision for him. Okay? So a seed, when it is sown, it will do its utmost to grow. Even in a rock. Now, look at this next picture. Look how powerful that seed is. It split the rock. How does a tree grow in a rock and become so powerful that it splits the rock? That's the potential of a seed. That's the potential of a seed. I said that's the potential of a seed. Amen. And then Mark 4 says, 
Not only uh, is the kingdom of God likened to a man which soweth seed in the earth and it springs and grows up. He knows not how. He can't see under the earth what's taking place under there. All he knows is you plant a seed, the seed knows what to do. The earth knows what to do. God knows what to do. I'm going to bed. Amen. Amen. And it says he rises night and day and he knows not how this seed does what it does. But he doesn't question it. He doesn't go out there the next day and say, well, I sowed that seed and I don't see any results. This stuff doesn't work. No, he rises night and day, having confidence in the seed, having confidence in the earth, having confidence in God, causing it to produce a harvest. So he just relaxes and goes to bed. There's a good lesson in that. When you sow your financial seeds, don't stay up and worry all night. Dear God, what am I going to do? Go to bed. You say, Lord, I'm going to sleep. I have confidence in the seed. It knows what to do. I have confidence in the soil you told me to plant it in. It knows what to do. You're the one who created seed. You know what to do. Good night. Hallelujah. Sleep with a smile on your face and wake up doing a dance before the Lord, knowing you're one day closer to your harvest. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. Amen. Amen. Now, every seed sown has an assignment on it. And that assignment is grow. Grow and become. Now, I learned this, uh, particularly uh, working with Brother Copeland back in the early days, and and Oral Roberts uh, really had a great uh, impact on my life in a little book that he wrote the year that I got saved and surrendered my life to the Lord. Brother Roberts back then had a uh, uh, television program, weekly television program, Prime Time. And I would watch it every night that it, when it came on. And Brother Roberts introduced one night a new book that he had just written. And it was called The Miracle of Seed Faith. And he said, if you will order this book, write to me, order this book, I'll send it to you absolutely free. I turned to Carolyn. I said, Carolyn, here's one we can afford. Order it. <laughs> and so we ordered that little book, Seed, The Miracle of Seed Faith. I consumed it when, when I got a hold of it. I still have it in my library today. I've bought tons of them and given them away all over the world. It's one of the greatest little books I've ever read in my life. It talked about the potential of a seed and how to make God your source by sowing seed. If you have never read it, it's still available on uh, Amazon or YouTube or something like that, you know. And it, it absolutely changed my life. Brother Robert said, everything God's ever told me to do, I sowed a seed before I attempted to do it as an act of my trust in God to bring in the finances to make it happen. Amen. See, uh, we, we're, we were raised backwards. 
I'll believe it when I see it. No. The Bible way of living is I'll see it, I'll believe it, and then I'll see it. Amen. I believe it, and then I'll see it. And if you believe it, then your believing demands corresponding actions. Amen. That's what James said. Faith without works, the King James says, but in other translation, a better rendering is faith without corresponding action is void and destitute of power. So it's not enough to just say, well, I believe God's going to do this. We'll put some action to it. Okay, because faith without corresponding actions is void of power. Well, I believe God's going to meet my financial need. We'll put some action to it. So we see. Now I'm going to try on this side of the auditorium. <laughs> Amen. God taught me years ago. He said, son, don't ever become need-minded, become seed-minded. Yeah. Amen. That's a... That's a, that's a powerful revelation. Don't become seed uh, need-minded, become seed-minded. And the way I learned this, I was flying up to Tulsa to do a meeting with Brother Roberts on, on the uh, ORU campus in the Maybe Center. We were going to have, I don't know, eight or 10,000 people in that meeting that night. And I'm flying up there, and I'm sitting in the back of my airplane, and I had a tremendous need. I mean, it was a great sum of money to, to get this project done. And I'm a, as I'm flying up there, I said, Lord, I need X amount of dollars for this project. And he said, when you get to Tulsa, there'll be five ministers that are on the verge of leaving the ministry because they're discouraged. He said, when you get there and the service is turned over you, call on those five ministers and tell them to come up and you give one of, each one of them one of your suits. I said, okay. So we flew a little further. I said, Lord, I, I want to talk to you about this need I have. He said, when you get to Tulsa, there'll be an elderly couple who have a ministry of distributing food to the poor in their community and, and they need a new vehicle to transport this food. He said, your ministry just bought two uh, uh, vans, uh, large vans. And he said, give them one of your vans. I said, okay. So we flew a little further. I said, Lord, uh, I'd like to talk to you about this need. He said, when you get to Tulsa, <laughs> he said, there's a particular minister that said to me, going to the meeting. God, if you don't speak to me in this meeting, I am done. I'm through. He said, give him your briefcase with $500 in it, cash. I said, okay. Lord, uh, so far, all we've talked about is me sewing. You haven't, you haven't talked to me about my need. He said, when you get told, I said, I don't want to talk to you no more. <laughs> What was God doing? He was not trying to take something from me. He's trying to get something to me. See, that's becoming seed-minded instead of need-minded. Every time you talk to God about a need, if you'll just shut up and listen, give him a moment, he'll talk to you about a seed. Amen. You should have wrote that down. 
Every time you talk to God about a need, he'll talk to you about a seed. Because that's the way he set it up in the beginning. That's how he intended for man to have his life sustained, is by the sowing of seed. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Are you still with me? Now, once again, Mark chapter 4. Once a seed is sown, it groweth up and becometh. Okay? Uh, back in 2020, actually 2019, Brother Copeland was launching his new Victory television channel. Okay? And uh, he, he, he announced this at our board of director meeting and, and told us to be believing God with him. And he said, and every minister that has a television program that is of like precious faith, we're going to put them on that channel, not charge them a dime for it. Well, that's, I mean, that's quite a seed. It takes millions of dollars to do television every year, you know. And he said, I'm not going to charge anybody that's on my channel a dime. I'm going to sow it into their ministry. Okay. Well, that's typical Kenneth Copeland. That's just the way he lived. And so uh, he began to launch into that network. And so when he announced he was going to launch it, well, I immediately sowed from my television ministry $100,000 to go toward the, the development of that. I sold $100,000, okay? Now, once he launched it, I was there for the launching, but then I had to leave and go to a, another meeting, and I wasn't there for the rest of the, the, the um, meetings that week. I got home the last night of the meeting, and it was still on the air. And uh, I went into the bedroom, and Carolyn was laying in the bed watching it. And I, I went and got my clothes, you know, changed my clothes into my robe and so forth. And I just laid on the bed beside her, and I'm watching this. And I'd already sold $100,000 into it. And the Lord said, what's more important to you, owning that Falcon 50 aircraft or helping Brother Copeland launch this television broadcast, this, this television network? I said, Lord, you know anything Kenneth Copeland is doing is more important to anything I'm doing. He said, then show him. I said, how? He said, take the money you put aside for that Falcon 50 to pay cash for it and sow it into this. Well, I already sold 100000 And at that time, I only had 200000 set aside to pay, you know, to go toward a Falcon 50. And our ministry don't borrow money, Okay. So we believe paying cash. So he said, sold the rest of it. Well, there was $200,000 left in that account. I leaned over to Carolyn and I said, told her what the Lord said. She said, well, I know you, you'll do it. <laughs> so I got on the phone and called KCM and talked to one of the operators there. I said, tell Brother Copeland that I'm sitting here watching him and I, I heard the Lord say, uh, sow what you've got out of your aviation department and show him that what he's doing is more important to you than owning a Falcon 50. 
So I just, I just called and told them that. Well, they, my daughter, Jerry Ann, was on the broadcast with them, and they, uh, <clears throat> they, they told her what I said. She, reached, uh, she touched uh, Pastor George Pearson and told him. Now, I didn't think this was going to be broadcast. I just thought they'd just tell Brother Copeland after it was over with. So I saw Jerry Ann walk over to George, and I, I saw George walk over to Brother Copeland. Brother Copeland got up immediately. He said, Jerry Savell just called in. He said, now, Jerry's been believing for a Falcon 50 for 20 years. Now, he's owned a lot of different airplanes over the years, but he's never owned one that would take him international, and he's been believing God for it because he has an international ministry. He said he just sold the rest of the money in his aviation account into this. So let's agree with him that God is going to bring that Falcon 50 into his life ministry. Okay? And so uh, we did that. Now, that was the first week of September, or the first part of September 2020. I sowed that significant seed. Significant means it has value to you. If it doesn't have value to you, it's not significant. It's like a guy told me one time, said, Brother Jerry, I've got an old suit I've never have liked, and I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You know what you're going to get in return? A hundred old suits that you don't like. <laughs> that wasn't significant. You know? And so uh, I sowed that significant seed. Now, that was the first about the second week of September, before the end of September, my seed grew up and became. And look what it became. Oh. Hallelujah. Oh. Hallelujah. I rest my case, I could have been an attorney. <laughs> Look at this. That's what that seed grew up and became. Why? Because that's all a seed knows to do. Once you plant it, all it needs knows to do is to grow up and become. To grow up and become. Say that with me. To grow up and become. What will it become? It becomes what you need it to become. Amen. When a farmer sows uh, seeds, of a particular uh, vegetable or fruit that he wants, that's what he expects to come from it. He doesn't sow uh, uh, an apple seed and go out looking for bananas. Ah, oh, stuff don't work. I got bananas. No, if you sow apple seeds, you're going to get apples. The seed will grow up and become apples. The seed will grow up and become bananas. The seed will grow up and become tomatoes. The seed, tomatoes. The seed will grow up... <laughs> and become whatever you sowed it for. Now, the beautiful thing is, the Bible reveals to us that God even considers our finances as seed. Now, follow the pattern here. If a tomato seed, tomato seed will produce tomatoes, and an apple seed will produce apples, and cotton seed produces cotton, when you sow money, what should you expect to receive? money. Amen. It, doesn't it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says 
a man that sows sparingly, he can only expect to reap sparingly. If he sows generously, then he can expect to reap a generous harvest. See, you really are in charge of your own harvest. I don't, I don't have to ask God. When I was younger, I did because I was learning. I'd say, Lord, what do you want me to give? He trusts me because I have proven to him that I live to give. I'm a sower. I said, I'm a sower. When the Bible talks about a sower, it's not talking about somebody doing this part-time or occasionally. A sower went out to sow. That's, what, that's the description of a sower. A sower went out to sow. That's what sowers do. It's what we do, man. It's what we do. <laughs> huh? Sowers, the most natural thing for a sower is to sow. Amen. Now, my wife loves, because we were both raised this way, we love fresh vegetables, you know, homegrown. By the time you get them in the store, you don't know what kind of chemicals they got on them and all this stuff, you know. And so uh, we love homegrown. And my wife, uh, she decided since we don't have a, a, a big garden, you know, or anything like that, she decided that she just wanted some fresh tomatoes. So she went out in back of the house went a, in a spot that she used to have flowers in. She dug all that up and planted tomato plants. And then they grew and became, I mean, luscious tomatoes. And boy, are they good on a sandwich, you know. But... When neighbors came over and saw those few little tomatoes growing in the backyard, nobody said, Carolyn, we didn't know you were a farmer. <laughs> growing tomatoes occasionally does not make you a farmer. <laughs> Having some law books in your library, library does not make you a lawyer. <laughs> Having an accounting machine in your Office does not make you an accountant. Amen. Go sitting in an airplane doesn't make you a pilot. <laughs> and sowing every once in a while in church doesn't make you a sower. Amen. A sower goes out to sow. Yeah, yeah. That's what they do. And they look for opportunities every day to sow because that's what sowers do. Yes. Are there any sowers in the house today? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, if you're a sower and you sow, because that's what sowers do, why wouldn't you expect a harvest? Amen. Come on, preach it. Did anybody expect a harvest when you sow? Yes. Well, if you expect a harvest, why would you ever give up on it? Amen. Amen. Remember what the Galatians says? Galatians says, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. So why would you ever give up on that seed? If you truly believe that the seed knows what to do, God knows what to do, and it's just a matter of time, it's going to grow up and become. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right, now let me say this to you. That was my introduction. I'm about to get into my sermon now. Okay. Let me, let me, this is, this is, Stuff I don't I don't rely on what I preach somewhere else. I pray and ask the Lord to give me the words that are specific for that that group of people. 
And this is specific for you, even though it's very similar to what I'm taught in other places. But I don't, I don't just, I don't come to meetings, and, and even though I keep a notebook, and I, 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 all of my notes are written, handwritten, and then I take them home, my secretary types them up, and every year I fill up all these notebooks, and then I put them in my archive, and I start a whole new notebook uh, with, with my sermons in it. But I don't, I don't say, well, I'm really, just like coming in Friday night, I was tired. Okay, I didn't have enough time to really prepare like I would have liked to have prepared. So I had to do it on the airplane flying over here. Okay, when I got to where we're staying, I had just enough time. I couldn't even shower. I could, I, you know, I had just enough time to take off my jogging suit, sports suit or whatever you call them, track suit, okay, and, and put on a suit and come in here. I don't really like doing that because I don't feel like I've, I've, I've had enough time with the Lord and I had enough time in his work. So I knew that was probably going to be the case. So I did all my praying and my studying on the flight over here so that I could walk out of that house, walk right in here, and know the anointing would be here. Okay? So I, I wrote notes for that specific service the other night. Now, today, I wrote these notes. They haven't even been typed yet because they hadn't been back to Texas yet. Even though my secretary will see a lot of similar stuff from previous notes, okay? But this is specifically for you. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Now, listen to this. Every major breakthrough recorded in the Bible has the principle of sowing a significant seed. Every major breakthrough recorded in the Bible has with it the principle of the sowing of a significant seed. Now, a lot of times you have to look for that seed in the story. And the Lord led me on a journey one time all the way through the Gospels and showed me in every major breakthrough there was a seed sown before the breakthrough came. For instance... <clears throat> I'm reading Mark chapter 4, or Mark chapter 5. And it's the story of the little woman with the issue of blood and Jairus, whose daughter was dying. And Jesus had entered their village. And Jairus uh, came to him and said, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she might live. And Jesus started to follow him. And the Bible says, there was such a large crowd around him, they were thronging him. Okay? So there's a lot of people around him. And before he could get to Jairus' house, this little woman with the issue of blood, she came through the crowd and touched his garment, and it stopped him in his tracks. And it wasn't because she, well, she had such a grip pulling on him. No, in one translation, in the King James, it said, who touched me? He stopped immediately and said, who touched me? In another translation where the disciples said, Master, everybody's touching you. In another translation, he says, no, this is not just a natural touch. It's the touch of faith. Amen. Somebody's made a demand on my ability. Who was it? The little woman fearing and trembling. Why was she fearing and trembling? Why was she fearing and trembling? 
because she had an issue of blood. And under Levitical law, she was not allowed to be in that crowd. They could have stoned her. So where was the seed in this, brother? Her very life. She put her life on the altar, so to speak. She put her life on the line to, to have the miracle performed by Jesus. She, she knew that if she went into that crowd, she could be looking at death. And guess who had the authority to give the order to stone her? Jairus. The man in whom she interrupted his miracle. So what was her seed? Her very life. There's always a seed in a major breakthrough that's recorded in the Bible. He ministered to her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. In the meantime, a messenger came to Jairus and said, Don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter's dead. Jesus turned to Jairus and said, Only believe. Another translation says it this way. This is more uh, a modern vernacular. Jesus turned to him and said, Jairus, don't be moved by that. Just keep believing. I'll be with you in just a moment. Daughter, your, your, you've been, your faith has made you hope. Let's go, Jairus. I love that. Praise God. And they went to Jairus' house and found his little daughter was dead. But Jesus raised her from the dead. Well, Brother Jerry, where do you see a seed in that? Oh, you don't see the seed? You have to remember, the religious sector was not favorable toward the ministry of Jesus. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. What seed did he sow? His reputation, his job, his, his uh, uh, elite status in the community. He was willing to lay it on the line, sow it as a seed in order for him to have a miracle with his little daughter. There's always a significant seed involved. Thank you for your enthusiasm. There is always a significant seed involved. Another example, in the book of Luke, it says Jesus was entered a place and there were 10 lepers standing afar off. When they saw Jesus, they said, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus turned to them and said, now let me back up a minute. Why were they standing afar off? They had leprosy. They're not allowed in the village. And they said, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. They can't do that. They can be stoned before they get to the priest. They're not allowed in that village. See, Jesus calls things that be not as though they were. He was seeing the end result. Amen. He said, go show yourself to the priest. And the next verse, the first few words, as they went. As they went, they were cleansed of the leprosy. All 10 of them cleansed of the leprosy. What was their seed? Their life. They laid their life on the line as a seed for their breakthrough. And all 10 of them got cleansed. But one of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, he came back, fell at Jesus' feet, and worshiped him. And Jesus said to that man, in fact, he asked the disciples, weren't they all ten cleansed? They said, yes, but only this one has come back. And Jesus turned to that man and said, now your faith 
has made you whole. All the others were cleansed, but they still had the evidence that they had once had leprosy, scars, you know. But this man, because he came back and was thankful and worshiped Jesus for his miracle, he was made whole. There was no evidence that man had ever had leprosy. And a seed produced it. Can you see that? What about blind Bartimaeus? Brother Jerry, I never saw a seed in all these stories. There's seed involved in every story. Blind Bartimaeus. When he heard Jesus was nearby, he began to cry out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him said, Shut up, be quiet. And the Bible says he shouted the louder, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. They said, Be quiet, don't trouble the master. Son of David, shout it louder. Have mercy on me. Jesus said, bring him to me. Now, you got to read the story again to see the seed. Bring him to me. The Bible says before Jairus went to Jesus, the first thing he did was take off his beggar's robe and lay it at his feet. See, in those days, you had to have a beggar's robe that qualified you to be a beggar in the streets. They wore a robe for identification. This man believed that he was about to receive his breakthrough. And in his mind, he's thinking, when I get my breakthrough, I won't be blind anymore. And I won't be a beggar anymore, so I don't need this robe anymore. So I'm just going to sew it. Hallelujah. He sewed that old robe, that old beggar's robe. That beggar's robe represented his livelihood. He just sewed his livelihood. And he went to Jesus, and you know the end of the story. He was received his sight and was made whole. There's always a seed in every story in the Bible where there's a major breakthrough. You just have to find it. You just have to find it. Why is there always a seed? Because that's the way God created things in the beginning. I give you dominion and authority. I give you the blessing. And I give you seed. And seed will be for sustaining your life. Now, you take those three principles and live by them. And you're going to go to the ultimate, the the maximum. You're going to enter into this realm of the highest level attainable. Because that's the way God set it up in the beginning. Jesus restored it, and now we can live by it. Hallelujah. And listen, folks, if it didn't work, don't you think after 54 years I would have figured it out? I'm not about to change the message because it's still working today. Hallelujah. And it'll work work as long as the earth remains. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord another good shout of praise. Now, let let me say this to you. When God asks you to give something, he's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to get something to you. I'll say it again. When God asks you to give something, he's not asking you to give it so he can take something from you. When he asks you to give something, he's endeavoring to get something to you. Amen. Amen. See, uh, I think one of the things that a lot of Christians miss out on is when they sow, 
they sow in tears like a loss. It was nice to have seen you. That thousand rand, bye-bye. They consider it loss. No, that's not the way the Bible says. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, 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 he says in the Amplified, a giver who is prompt to do it and cheerful in his giving. Now, how can you be cheerful when you're about to give away something? Because you know it's not God trying to take something from you. God is setting you up for something better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you still here? Now, listen to this. You might want to write this down. It's important. The measure of your trust in God will determine how tightly you hold on to what he asks you to give away. I'll say it again. The measure of your trust in God will determine how tightly you hold on to what he asks you to give. Now, I like to say this. If you can't give something away that God gave you, then you don't have that something, it has you. Amen. Amen. It's like the very first airplane God put in our ministry, 1975. I mean, and, and God told me never, ever borrow money for an airplane. Believe for them debt free. He said, I don't want you ever flying airplanes with debt on them. Well, in those days, I was still trying to pay off my debts from my business. And, 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 I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have a lot. We just starting out. And, uh, and uh, I'm a man of my word. And I went to all of the people that I owed when I shut my business down. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I know that I will get it done. Trust me, I'll pay you back everything I owe you. And if you want to charge me interest on the time it takes me to pay you back, I understand, charge me the interest. But I give you my word. I'll pay you every dime old. Just give me some time. And I didn't have a clue I was going to do that. And I began sowing to get out of debt. You mean you gave to get out of debt? Yes. I don't understand that. It's the most natural thing to do. Okay, I lost some of my people. Well, you don't have much to start with. Why would you give? So I can have much later. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Duh. That's like the first time I set feet on African soil in Kenya in 1978. The Lord said, I want you to teach on covenant the entire time you're here. I said, why, Lord? He said, these people understand covenant. They just have a perverted view of it. Teach on covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the blessings of Abraham, redeemed from the curse. Just basic faith 101, okay? So I started teaching. Well, you can't teach on the covenant without teaching prosperity because it, it, it involves, includes prosperity. Blessed coming in, blessed going out, in the city, in the field. Everything you set your hand to do will be blessed. So how can you teach covenant and not teach prosperity? So when I got into the prosperity part, well, how can you teach prosperity without the principle of sowing and reaping? 
Okay. So I began teaching on sowing and reaping. And there's a group of people that got extremely upset with me. And you know who they were? They were not the Kenyans. They were the American missionaries. And one of them said to me, Mr. Savelle, wouldn't even have the courtesy to call me Brother Savelle. Mr. Savelle, these people are poor. You can't come over here preaching prosperity. I said, sir, what you just told me was this. Be the same thing. Brother Savelle or Mr. Savelle, you can't preach on salvation in Kenya. These people are lost. <laughs> How dumb is that? That's the reason I'm preaching on prosperity. That's the reason I'm preaching on sowing reaping. I know they're living in poverty, and this will get them out. Hallelujah. Amen. First time I started preaching to the Native Americans, 1972, in, in, in Shanto, Arizona, on the Navajo Reservation. We taught covenant. Those people understand covenant. It's a perverted side of it. So we, we taught on covenant, and in covenant, you got to teach prosperity, and if you teach prosperity, you got to teach on the laws of seed time and harvest. So that's what we taught them. And most of these people, then they live in what looked like a God-forsaken place on this planet. Shanto, Arizona, is nothing but sand, and it's a Navajo reservation, and it's one of the largest Native American reservations in North America. These people would walk to the meetings. They didn't have vehicles. They didn't have money. But we taught them on sowing and reaping anyway. And they would stop by a river, a, a creek, and pick up rocks in that creek where the water had washed over it and, and shined them and made them pretty. And they'd bring them to the meeting. And that was their offering. That was their seed. Little shiny rocks. I still have those rocks. I wouldn't take a million dollars for them because it represented significant seed. Amen. One year later, when we went back, I noticed that some of them came driving up there in pickup trucks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One year later, when we came back, I noticed they got out of those hogans and they're in houses. Praise the Lord. Same thing happened in Kenya. Those people made little trinkets, little, little uh, uh, bowls with colorful design on them, and they'd bring it to me, and that'd be my offering. Or they'd bring me a piece of clothing that they made, a, a scarf or something, and wanted me to give this to my wife. That was the best they had. That was the significant seed. I still have those in, in my office. There's, there's, a, there's an Africa room where I have all of that, Okay. I wouldn't take anything for it. And a couple of years later, when I went back, Joe's been there with me many times, he can tell you. Guy, these people that were walking to the meetings were driving vehicles or driving, riding motorcycles, or little motor scooters, you know, building houses. Hallelujah. Some of them eventually got so prosperous they started their own business and started sending money to America to support my ministry. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Brother Jerry, I can't believe you received those offerings from those poor people. You better believe I'm going to receive an offering from a poor person because that's the way they're going to get out of their poverty. I was, in, I was in Jackson, Mississippi in 1975, 74. And I'm preaching along these lines. And at the end of the service, an elderly woman came up to me. And she said, Brother Jerry, my husband worked for the railroad. And he died. And the railroad gives me what she called a, a little pension, uh, uh, a retirement that he was entitled to. And since he died, she was entitled to it. And she said, and that's what I live on. And she said, but I want to be a partner with your ministry. And all I have to give you is $1 a month. Well, I felt terrible about taking that dollar. She needs it more than I did. I said, ma'am, I really appreciate that. You're such a sweetheart. But I said, I, I feel bad about taking your dollar. And since that's all you have to live on. And she's a little short woman. Put her hands on her hip, looked at me in the eye. And said, you don't practice what you preach, do you, buddy? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, after what I heard, I'm on a fixed income. You told me how to get it unfixed. I'm trying to do it. You're blocking my blessing. Give me that dollar, lady. <laughs> <laughs> and that lady faithfully supported our ministry for one dollar every month till the day she died. I mean, years went by. He got to where... <clears throat> In our accounting department, in our uh, uh, mail room, the ladies that work in there, they got to uh, wanting to be the first one to get her, her, her little envelope with the $1 in it. Hey, I'm the one that opened her. You know? <laughs> Years later, after she'd already passed away, I'm back in Jackson. And after the service, this young woman came up to me and said, Brother Jerry, you don't know me, but I know you. I said, well, how would I know you? She said, my mother was, and it was this lady. I said, oh, yeah, your mother was a sweetheart. She sent me $1 a month, every month, until she went home to be the Lord. She said, I'm fully aware of that. I remember the first time she sent that $1. I was in that service that night. And she said, I just want you to know, my mother's faithfulness to send you $1 a month made me a wealthy woman. I said, how's that? She said, well, I was an only child. Dad passed away. He left the farm to mom. Mom passed away. She left the farm to me. And just one day, the city of Jackson, Mississippi, decided that they were expanding and they needed the land that her farm was on to do the expansion. And, they, and she said, they said, we can't do this without your land. We'll buy it from you. And she said, that $1 a month, every month, produced me living a very affluent lifestyle. Amen. Amen. What did happen? That seed grew and became. That seed grew and became. Amen. And God's no respecter of persons. But he's still here. All right, now listen to this. When you talk about significant seed, you're talking about something that is of value to you. You know, if you, if you 
For instance, uh, a man told me one time, he said, uh, Brother Jerry, uh, I've got an old car. And uh, I, I, I never had liked that old car. He said, I know you like cars and you restore cars. And he said, I, I don't want that old car. I never, I never liked it when it was given to me. I'd like to give it to you. Well, see, it didn't have any value to him. Okay? It, it was not, as the Bible would refer to, as a significant seed. I said, sir, uh, I'd, I'll, I'd be happy to take the car, but I just want you to know, since you don't like it, and the only reason you're giving it away is to get it out of your property, then it's not significant to you. So I don't think you're going to be entitled to a major harvest. That's like, that's like you know, you got, you got uh, some dresses that you liked over the years. Then you decided, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to sew. I never liked these dresses anyway. I'm just going to give them away. Well, all you're going to get back in return is a much uh, multiplied number of dresses that you don't like. <laughs> Why? Because it's not significant. It has to be something that is of value to you. Amen? Now, David said it this way in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. I will not offer to God something that has, no, that has not cost me anything. I will not offer to God anything that has not cost me anything. In other words, his attitude was it has to be significant. Now, the message translation says it this way. I'm not going to offer to God sacrifices that are no sacrifice to me. Amen. Amen. Amen? If it's not truly a sacrifice for you, then why would you offer it to God? That was David's attitude. In other words, if it's not significant, if it's not of value, then I'm not going to sow it. I'll wait until... I've determined something of value to me that is a sacrifice, you know, and then I'll sow that because that becomes a significant seed. Can you say amen? amen. Everybody's still here. Yes. Sacrifice means the, willing, the willingness to give up something of importance to you. Amen. Giving up my international funds for that airplane was significant because I've been saving and saving and saving and, and believing God that I could finally have enough to pay cash for the airplane. Now God's asking me to sow it. It was significant. And I've learned, don't argue with God. Amen. He's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to set you up for something better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was the quickest harvest I've ever received. Two weeks into September, I sowed that large, significant seed, and before the end of September, I reaped the harvest. Oh, can you show that picture of that airplane again? I want to I want to show you something. Look at the end number on the back. November 920JS. Juliet, Sierra, Jerry Savelle, or Jesus saves. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Now look, 920. Nine representing September. 2-0, representing 2020, I put that on there as a testimony to the faithfulness of God. 
What happened? And remember, 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Amen. I mean, when the world's screaming worst of times, I'm having my best of times. Why? Because I'm a sower of seed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Anybody in here getting this tonight? All right. Praise God. The measure of your trust in God will determine how tightly you hold on to what he asks you to give. Obedience always opens the door to the miraculous. Another example, 1 Kings chapter 17. The prophet has been told by God to go to this particular city and said, there's a woman there, a widow woman, that I have instructed or have commanded to sustain thee. And when he gets to her house, he finds out that she and her son are about to eat their last meal, and her words to the prophet was this, I'm going to make myself and my son a little cake, and we're going to eat it and die. She, she, she'd already prepared that this is going to be her last meal. And the prophet said, well, make me a little cake first. Oh, boy, if the media had been there, <laughs> CNN, breaking news, preacher takes widow woman's last meal. He said, it's almost like he ignored what she said. We're going to eat it and die. Make me a little cake first. She just told him I only have enough for one cake. Make me a little cake first. What is he endeavoring to do? Get her to sow a significant seed. Was that little cake that she had left significant? It's the last thing she had. And he said, make me a little cake first. And the Bible says, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And then it goes on to end the story and says, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail. What happened? Her significant seed produced an enormous breakthrough. And the Bible says that she, her son, and the prophet did eat many days. Amen. 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 Notice the sowing of a seed produced a major breakthrough. God had her sow toward her breakthrough. And that brings this to mind. As I said this morning, every year when I receive the prophetic word that I'm to take across my nation, across North America, across the world, wherever God sends me, the first thing I do, my wife and I, we will say, Lord, we receive this word by faith. And we're expecting it to come to pass in our lives. And I always add this. I say, Lord, cause this to come to pass in my life before I start preaching it so it will give validity to the message. Amen? Because if I could stand up and say, the word of the Lord for this year is that if you won't be moved by all the chaos and the disorder in the world that's happening around you, then God will open his hand and cause you to experience supernatural, unusual, and, and, and extraordinary uh, provision. If that's happening to me before I come to you, then that makes the word valid. Amen. And God does it every year. Hallelujah. Yes, so we, on October the 1st, when we receive that word, 
We stood up and said, God, we received this word. We mix our faith with it in the name of Jesus. Your word says when we mix our faith with it, it will profit us. Yes. Now, the next thing we're going to do, Father, is we're going to do the same principle that that little woman acted on as he, she was told by Elijah. We are sowing toward this fulfillment of this word. Amen. Amen. She sowed toward her breakthrough. We're sowing toward the fulfillment of this prophetic word. Amen. And we're going to do it with the best seed we have. Amen. We're going to do it with significant seed. We're going to show God that we really trust him. We're going to show God that we don't doubt that the principle we're acting on since it was established in the Garden of Eden, and you said as long as the earth remains, it shall not cease. It's worked for us for 54 years. We're going to keep on working it. So, Father, we're going to thank you in advance that our 2023 is going to be a year for the maximum and a year for the highest level attainable. Come on, give the Lord a great shout. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, are you ready? I said, are you ready? Yes. I'm not doing this to try to take something from you. I'm doing this so God can get something to you. And I just want you to know, your sowing of this significant seed tonight is not going to me personally. It's going into the ministry. Okay? And, and this ministry has already proven to you, if you're a part of it, that they are people of integrity. They're not going to waste your seed. They're not going to abuse your seed. They're going to use it wisely for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Amen. And I ask you this morning to be praying this afternoon about the significant seed that you would sow. Have you done that? Are you ready? All right, stand to your feet, if you will, please. And let's remember the 16th chapter of Mark. It said, referring to the disciples, they went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. That's what I'm believing tonight. I have preached what God gave me over the last three days here. I believe the Lord has been working with me. You believe the Lord's been working with us? In these days? Amen. And now the only thing left is for him to confirm this word with signs following. So how many of you believe he will make it happen? Well, let's praise him in advance. Hallelujah. Let's praise him in advance. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, we're going to do this as decently and in order as we possibly can. I have laid hands on over 5,000 people in a service just like this. And it didn't take very long if we followed the instructions. Okay? So, uh, Tony, you want to come up here and, and or, or Pastor John, one, come up here and tell them how we're going to do this? Uh, let, me, let me begin. You're going you're gonna to sow your seed to my left, and then when you come by me, I'm going to lay my hands on you. Okay? We're not going to have a long prayer. I can't, I can't take the time to listen to your life story 
We got everybody in here that desires to participate, and we want to make sure everybody who wants to participate. Now, you don't have to, but if you want to, uh, give you that opportunity. So let's just keep it decent and in order. Once hands are laid on you, just keep moving. Go back to your seat until everybody in here has had an opportunity to participate. And I'm believing. Hallelujah. I don't know if I'll get back to South Africa this year, but I will get reports from this meeting. And I'm expecting to hear many, 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 many testimonies. I'm talking about many testimonies of people had major breakthroughs and they're on their way to the maximum. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's shout one more time. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.